Our scripture reading today uh, is from Genesis chapter 1, right there in the beginning. And we'll begin in uh, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, beginning our mess, my message today, um, I've invited a couple of leaders in our church, um, Chris Cross at Brandy Knight, who lead our Emotionally Healthy Discipleship courses. And uh, these courses are um, really, I think, transformative. And I've asked them to come because uh, one of the things that's taught in these courses is this idea, this biblical idea of Sabbath. And both of them have been teaching this now for some time and practicing it. So I just wanted to ask you all uh, about your practices around Sabbath. Uh, so would you describe for folks what Sabbath looks like in your house, Chris? Yeah, so uh, Sabbath in our household is a uh, 24-hour period. Um, and we make this distinction of a 24-hour period, just setting it aside. Uh, it starts on Friday nights at 6 p.m. Um, where we get to light a Sabbath candle. We have an amazing meal together. Um, I get to speak a blessing over my children, um, and then we rest. We wake up the next morning refreshed and spend the rest of that 24 hours just delighting in everything that God's made uh, for us, um, and everything during that day is viewed through the lens of rest, worship, and delight. If it doesn't fit in that lens, it doesn't happen. That's great. Brandy? And for me, I learned a lot about this from Chris and in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, um, and that's where I was introduced to the idea that this is God's invitation uh, to practice Sabbath. And it came out of uh, his rescue of the Israelites out of slavery and oppression in Israel over 400 years, where all of their identity and their purpose was simply to work relentlessly for um, Pharaoh. And that really resonated with me because I tend to value uh, what I get done. Um, and that's where my worth has come from in the past. Um, so I do practices that remind me of who God is, what he's done, and that the world does not depend on me working relentlessly uh, for it to stay together, or even my life to stay together. Well, that's cool. What's been the greatest blessing of Sabbath keeping for you guys? Uh, a space to breathe mm. um, between work, being a parent, and just everything going on. It's a chance to just pause to breathe. Um, and with that, God's given permission for me to say no to things mm. um, during this 24-hour period that maybe drain me, that make me busy. Um, so it's a chance just to say no to things of the world and just sit and breathe. Cool. Brandy? And for me, it's uh, about learning to be okay about not doing Sabbath per perfectly, uh, but instead uh, focusing and experimenting and growing in it, um, retraining my, my thoughts, uh, just to remind myself that God is in control and I'm not, um, and developing my ability to wait on God to work things out that are uh, weighing on my heart. Um, and this has really given me the ability to live with a lot less anxiety. 
you mentioned doing it perfectly. You know, I like to do things perfectly myself. And, and Sabbath is, is a challenge. Everybody I know who practices Sabbath will tell you that it's, that it's not easy in our culture. What's been the greatest challenge for you, Chris? Uh, preparing for Sabbath. Mm. Sabbath takes preparation. Um, I don't know about all of you, but I actually have to get, you know, housework done. I have to go grocery shopping. I got to get things together. And getting that done before we end our Sabbath doesn't happen most of the time. Um, and so being able to sit in that, knowing that I wasn't fully prepared, but God's going to keep running the world yeah. and that my to-do list will be there and I can just rest. Sometimes that's the hardest part. You, wait a minute. You said God runs the world? God runs the world. Okay. Sometimes oh, wow. I don't want to okay. believe it, but it actually does. Uh, it, it's true. Yeah. And actually, it's the same for me. Um, and so I try not to participate in commerce so that I can keep my focus on God and, and all that he gives. And really, honestly, not shopping is the hardest thing for me. Mm. And, and that includes grocery, things like just fun things like grocery shop, shopping. Yeah. Uh, it just as a discipline to remind myself that things come from God. Yeah, so it's, we never step into it and practice it perfectly. Uh, there are there are challenges. Uh, so for folks who maybe have not practiced Sabbath, what's a practical tip that you might give? Something that was helpful to you uh, to lead somebody else into doing this in their family? So I want to give two actually here for you. First, pick a day. It doesn't even have to be a whole day. Pick a day and make it an intentional day that you just lean into, that you want to be with God. Um, and the second part is during that day, Allow God to reveal to you what's life-giving. What brings you joy? What did he create for you to just delight in? And for me, it's just start slow and uh, experiment. Try one or two things at a time. Incorporate those things that do that for you. And join us for the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course that starts in February, February 15th. And we, we discuss this. Chris teaches us this. And um, we discuss it at our tables and try it out and then come back and talk about how it went. That's called an advertisement for... That class. Yeah, but thank you. Thank you for modeling this. And I have heard from others how they've gone through these courses and have learned things like Sabbath and silence and other things. So thank you for your leadership and for being willing to share with us today. Would you thank them? I wanted you to, to hear from some real practitioners um, as we begin this message, because um, it'll be real easy for you to simply dismiss this as something archaic or something maybe impossible in your life or in your world. Um, but there are real people practicing Sabbath and who are finding great benefit in it. I myself just started a few years ago. I did a day off. A day off is not Sabbath. Um, and it has been revolutionary for me, and we do not practice it perfectly. We still have, Lynn and I have things that we still kind of, you know, miss on, and we don't get everything right, but it has been this incredible thing, and, and it, like I say, it's um, something I've rediscovered. Someone said that history is the story of ideas lost and remembered, lost and remembered. When we went on, we had this amazing um, opportunity to go on a sabbatical in 2006 and took our family to Europe. And one of the places we went to was uh, Rome and went to the Colosseum. And we were with a group of folks, and they're giving us a tour and pointing out some things. And I, and I walked by, and I, and I saw um, a concrete 
And, and I said, well, this, is this, was this added later? Is this some kind of repair that was done to the Colosseum? Because I know that's a modern uh, building um, material and was not used then. And they said, oh, no, 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 that, that's actually original. Um, concrete, the Romans used concrete. The Romans discovered concrete. They used it for hundreds of years, and then when Rome fell in the 5th century, the formula was lost, and you know, for a thousand years it was lost, and nobody made concrete anymore. Uh, but in the late 1400s, it was rediscovered, and in the 1800s, it took, picked up steam. I thought, wow, Rome, they, wouldn't you guess it, they, they invented it all, you know? And then I went, wanted to, because I love history, I wanted to dig into this a little bit more, and I discovered, no, actually... Um, the ancient Egyptians, 3000 BC, used concrete, and it too had been lost for a while. I thought, oh, well, of course, they made the pyramids, the Sphinx, of course, they invented it. Actually, no, it goes back to 6500 BC, a, a little known uh, civilization, the uh, Nabataeans, which are just southeast of uh, current Palestine, an Arab country. They archaeologically have been found to use concrete. So here's this thing. It was, it was used and then lost and then rediscovered and found, lost and found. And that's kind of the story of history, and it's really the story of Sabbath. Uh, now, I'm old enough to know some of that history. As a, as a young baby boomer, I remember blue laws. How many of you remember blue laws? Raise your hand, okay? We're probably showing our age, Okay. All right, blue laws were this concept kind of in America, um, and there's a whole history there that I don't have time to get into today. Fascinating. Goes back all the way to our nation's founding and spotty. Um, but blue laws basically meant you couldn't open for commerce at all. Everything was shut down on Sunday. And when I was young, blue laws were starting to get repealed and stores were beginning to open. And by the time I was a teenager, um, you know, most of that was part of the past. And if you talk to older baby boomers or older adults who remember clearly the days of practicing Sabbath, um, when blue laws were in effect, they would, they would often speak it. They will often speak of it in more negative terms because they remember it as, as they go to church in the morning and not being able to do anything else the rest of the day and having no fun. And that's kind of their recollection of, of Sabbath. And indeed, Sabbath became sort of legalistic. What I mean by that, it had all the rules, but none of the fun, none of the joy. And, and so my generation said, eh, no thanks. And our culture started saying no thanks to Sabbath because we were gradually losing our Christian bearings, and, and it just didn't make sense anymore. It is kind of a Jewish-Christian idea. And so we, we went away from it. And so I, in my early days, I, I would, I, my first series, I preached on the Ten Commandments. I think we were still in the theater. Um, I, I went through this and I said, you know, this one on Sabbath is the one out of ten you don't have to keep. You got to keep all the other nine, but you don't have to keep the one on Sabbath because I thought, you know, it's Jesus spoke. Um, about this. And almost every time Jesus addresses it, he has to address it negatively because he was speaking into a religious culture where it was very legalistic and it became all about the law and not about the spirit. So I thought, yeah, well, we don't have to do that anymore. Only one problem. The Bible never says the Sabbath isn't valid anymore. Um, so what do we do with this? Like I said, history is the story of ideas law of forgotten and remembered. Sabbath. Yeah, 
um, my, I guess what I was doing and other pastors, my generation, we were reacting to the legalism. And we were saying, you know, that, that, that's not what God intended. And that's true. But I think what's happened is we've gone all the way to the other extreme. And now let's look. Let's talk about 24-7 culture. Let's talk about being on. Let's talk about overworking. Let's talk about burnout. How's that serving us? Maybe not so well. Exodus 20 says, and it's interesting that it's worded this way. This is out of the Ten Commandments. It says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember. Remember ideas are... History's the idea is lost and found. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then when Jesus had to address the misuse of Sabbath, he gave us God's intent behind us. He shows us God's heart. It says in Mark, um, this is after Jesus was criticized because he and his disciples got some food. They kind of, the equivalent of went to a fast food restaurant on Sabbath, and the religious people were very upset about them doing this. Um, and he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, what he's saying is, is God's heart in this is that this was a day created for human beings, for their flourishing, for their benefit. And so what I'd love us to do is, is revisit this as we continue the series, The Speed of God. That's all this concept that when God showed up in our world, in the incarnation, in the person of Jesus, he walked everywhere. He walked. He went three miles an hour. What would it look like to live at the speed of God? Last week, Brett talked about silence. I talked about our walk with God and going at a different pace. Today, I want to talk about this concept of Sabbath and how it can bring freedom to our hearts. Well, first, what I want us to see is that it's built into the very fabric of creation. It's built into creation itself. As you heard in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis is our very first book well, my Bible, it does follow the book of preface. Um, ha, ha, that's a dad joke. That's really bad, I know. Um, it says here in verse 2, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So on this, Genesis 1 tells us a story of creation in poetic form. And it gets to the seventh day and says, God rests. Now, may I remind you, is it necessary to say this? God does not get tired. Isaiah wants us to hear this. Isaiah the prophet says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. What a majestic passage. He does not grow tired or weary. So why does God rest on the seventh day? Because as a good father, as a good parent, he models it for us. Because God is infinite. We're finite. We have limits. We have we have to live within boundaries. It's part of what it means to be human. And so to model for us this concept of stopping, he builds Sabbath into creation. Let's go back to Genesis. 
verse 3. It says, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Two things I want to point out about that. It's really rich and significant. It says he blessed this day. This day. There are only three things in creation. When you get home today, go ahead and read all of Genesis 1 and put it in context. Read through the first three verses of chapter 2. And you see that God only blesses three things in his seven days of creation. He blesses animals, and he blesses human beings, and then he blesses this day. In both contexts there, when he blesses animals, he says, be fruitful and multiply. When he, tells, when he says he blessed human beings, he said, be fruitful and multiply. It has to do with procreation, that animals and human beings create life. They were made by God to create life. So he blesses the seventh day. What is that saying? That the seventh day is intended to create life. It is intended to breathe life into your lungs, to breathe life into your soul, to give you strength for the journey. So this day is blessed. And it says he made it holy. It's the only thing in all of creation that he calls holy. This day, it is set apart. That's what holy means. It is set apart, unique, unlike any other. It is a holy day. So friends, it's built. This idea of six days you work, one day you stop. Six days you work, one day you stop is built in creation As someone said, if you go against the grain of creation, you get splinters. (laughs) When we disregard this counsel, it hurts us. It doesn't hurt anyone else. And so let's consider just a little bit our cultural context and what it does. Back in 1793, at the height of the French Revolution, as they're trying to eradicate everything that resembled Christianity from their culture, they did away with the seven-day week, and they created a 10-day week. And they, nine days you work, and one day you're off, because they wanted to eradicate anything that resembled Christianity. It failed miserably, and they stopped doing it after about 10 years. Why? Suicide rates went up, Productivity of work dropped dramatically. Dis- dis-ease and, 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 and uh, depression spread throughout the country because we aren't made to work nine days. We're made to work six and off one. This is how God designed it. Um, some have called our day the burnout culture. A guy that I, I really love following in his podcast and his books, um, Mark Sayers. Mark Sayers is an Australian pastor, author, and he does a podcast, which I'd recommend for anybody, called Rebuilders. And Mark is this brilliant observer of culture. He can say, look at this, and here's what's really going on. And he's brilliant at analyzing culture. And in an episode last summer, he talked about burnout culture. Now, normally when we think of burnout, we think of working too much. And yes, we Americans work more on average than anyone around the world. We, we uh, are workaholics, no doubt about that, it, but it goes beyond that. Um, my generation especially um, was known for maybe not having the best work-life balance, 
We baby boomers were known for working a little excessively. One thing I have admired, or many things I admire about the millennial generation, one of the things I admire about the millennial generation is that they have a much better work-life balance. And I've seen pastors who are millennials, they'll just, when they're done, they just, they, they're done, they go home, where I would just kept on plowing away, you know, and I learned the hard way. Um, but here's what's fascinating. And this is true across, I know we can get stereotypical, you know, that's just a stereotype, that's just sort of general, generally speaking, millennials are better about work-life balance than, than baby boomers. But here's the fascinating thing. More millennials claim burnout than baby boomers ever did. A friend of mine knows a guy who, um, his job is, he works three 12-hour shifts. His full-time job, three 12-hour days, and he's off four. He says he's burned out. Not about the hours you work. Oh, yeah, you can overwork. Yes, hear that. You absolutely can. Because you know what happens? And this has been found in research after research after research. After about 50 hours of work, productivity drops off the table. You don't start, you start making mental mistakes. You start making other kinds of errors. It's just, your productivity drops dramatically, which is 50 hours, about a six-day work week, right? But it's not just that. You can work three days, be off four, and be burned out because it's a condition of the heart. And it speaks to other things that are going on. Mark Sayers, two, two things, two observations he made is that we have, um, we suffer from the burnout of overabundance. So many choices. Just go to the grocery store and look at all the cereals that you can buy. All of the choices. And now... Uh, talk about letting go of, of shopping on the Sabbath. You got this shopping mall in this little device, right? You can buy anything anywhere in the world. And I don't know, is anybody here a researcher? You like to research stuff before you buy it? Yeah, yeah, that's me. That could be a curse, you know, because you'll spend hours, hours looking at all the options, looking at all this and, and trying to decide what to do. I found this when I go on vacation, you know. Before, when we would go to a new place, I would go up to a local and I'd say, hey, where's a good place to eat around here? Because, you know, a local person usually can tell you where's a good place. And I have found the best restaurants ever by just going up to a local person and saying, tell me where to go eat. But now, oh no, I've got to go to Google and I've got to read all of the reviews for all of the restaurants and all of the area around me. And by the time I'm done with that, I'm exhausted. You ever get home from vacation and you've got to take a vacation because you took vacation? <sighs> We are left dizzy by the amount of choices that we have. Um, the, the other burnout thing that he talks about is the burnout of self-creation. Back in the day, there were these firms called marketing firms and PR firms where would you go to them, and if you have a product, you would go to them and say, would you help us sell our product? Would you help us advertise? Would you help us? And those are still there, and they're flourishing. But have you ever noticed that today, everybody is a PR marketing firm? If you have social media, you are your own marketer. And here's the deal. We can't go anywhere and do anything without. Now, just tell me if I'm wrong here. Because I did this the other night. You're at a great meal. I mean, a really nice meal. You're wanting to dive into that meal. But what do you do first? You take a picture of it because you want to put it on social media and tell the rest of the world about this amazing meal that you had. You're out walking and you have this incredible scenery around you. You're seeing this beautiful stuff. And what are you doing? You're taking pictures. You're taking, you know, I'm going to get a selfie of me, which I, and, and I'm picture, you know, I'm, I want to get my, you know, I want to get myself right in the frame. You know, I want to get this exposure and everything just so, so I can get that perfect picture to put on Facebook. 
Um, I'm not on Facebook, but you know what the idea is. Um, you're with your kids, and, and, and you're enjoying your time, but you're also thinking, how can I capture this moment so I can you know, tell the world about this moment that I had? No wonder we're exhausted. We suffer from the burnout of self-creation. When's the last time, honestly, you've had a great meal, you've gone to this amazing place, or you had this amazing day with the kids, and you didn't try to photograph it and think about how it might look on social media, and you just soaked it up. So yeah, we are the burnout culture. Um, In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Homer says something's off. And he quotes this thing in business, you've heard this said, every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it's getting. Yeah, they're usually talking about widgets and making things, assembly lines, whatever. But it works for life as well. If the results you're getting in your life are not good, anxiety at a low simmer, mild depression, high levels of stress, chronic emotional burnout, little to no sense of the presence of God, and inability to focus on things that make for life, then the odds are very good that something about the system that is your life is off kilter. The way you've organized your morning or evening routine, your schedule, your budget, your relationship to your phone, how you manage your resources of time, money, attention, etc., something's out of whack. We know something's just not right. I'm not saying the answer is going back to blue laws. That probably won't happen in our lifetimes. But we can go against the grain of culture and get back in sync with God's creative design. And so, for many, that looks like practicing Sabbath. Now, I do believe that we don't have to follow the literal 24-hour period that was laid out in Scripture, which uh, was uh, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Today, Jewish people around the world, they still observe that in Sabbath. And I've been to Israel at those times, and let me tell you, the world shuts down on that day. Christians moved it to Sunday to honor the resurrection, and, and that this is the Lord's day. And so that became the Christian Sabbath. I, I, it can be any day that works for you, but the idea is that Sabbath was made for you, for your flourishing. Remember, God blessed this day, to, and he breathed life into it so that it would breathe life into you. I, I have said, I'll admit, for much For the majority of my Christian life, I did not practice Sabbath. I took a day off. A day off is not Sabbath. I don't know about you, but on a day off, I'm running around doing all the errands and the other things I don't want to get to do on the other days because I'm working on those days. That's not rest. We're never off. And we've got the world connected to us and our phones, and we're never away from our phones. Let's just admit it. Me too. When do we ever find ourselves off hardly ever. So I would invite you to consider traveling at the speed of God and reintroducing the concept of Sabbath. Now, if you're family, you know, and you've got children, it, it's going to look different in every season. 
And it's, and it's, it is not easy. If, if you haven't taken the emotionally healthy spirituality class, I would recommend taking that. Maybe get some more counsel. But there are things you can read. John Mark Homer has the best stuff out there. Get his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. His chapter on Sabbath is worth the price of the whole book. Um, there, there are tools now to help with this. And when I, I can tell you that it has been a game changer for me. I changed my day off. I took money off. And I make Sabbath my Friday now. It has been a game changer for me, friends. Absolutely a game changer. Um, Mondays are my worst day because I'm depleted because I do this. <laughs> and, and, and Mondays, I'm, I'm just wiped out. Now, Fridays are my best day. Now my best day is my Sabbath. I can't tell you how many times I'm looking forward just to having that day. What are the three things you do? Chris mentioned it. There are three things that, that um, Sabbath consists of. The very word itself means to stop. Okay, so it means that it's very basic element. It means to stop working, to cease, all right? Not working, not buying and selling. And again, here's where you can get into the legalism. And, and, in, and in Jesus' day, they had lists of like things. They literally said, you, you cannot walk 50 yards. If you walk up to 50 yards, that's not work. But if you go beyond 50 yards, that's work. All right, they got that nitpicky. Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath and said, no, 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 you can't heal anybody on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, yes, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, and I'm going to heal this person because that's going to give life to this person. It became all rule-bound. Don't let it become legalistic for you, but please have a day where you stop and you rest Give yourself permission. Some of you, um, you feel guilty when you take a nap. I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but I know you because I'm one of you. Can I just say this? Take thou authority to take a nap. (laughs) You have God's permission. On that day, stop. Wendell Berry, American poet, a Christian, and he practiced Sabbath. And one of the things that marked his Sabbath was walking. We started a series two weeks ago with me on a walk. And his, he has a collection of poems called Sabbath Poems, which, which recollect these walks. And they're, they're peaceful just to read and listen to. So uh, Colin's going to read a couple of them for us now. Listen to these Sabbath Poems. The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water. And I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Sabbaths, 1979-4 by Wendell Berry. I climb up through the field that my long labor has kept clear Projects, plans unfulfilled, waylay and snatch at me like briars. For there is no rest here where ceaseless effort seems to be required, yet fails 
and spirit tires with flesh because failure and weariness are sure in all that mortal wishing has inspired. I go in pilgrimage across an old fenced boundary to wildness without age, where in their long dominion the trees have been left free. They call the soil here Eden. I leave work's daily rule and come here to this restful place where music stirs the pool and from high stations of the air fall notes of wordless grace, strewn remnants of the primal Sabbath's hymn. And I remember here a tale of evil twined with good, serpent and vine, and innocence of evil's stratagem. I let that go a while, for it is helpless to correct by generations' toil. And I let go my hopes and plans that no toil can perfect. There is no vision here but what is seen. White bloom, nothing, explains. Ruin is in place here. The dead leaves rotting on the ground, the live leaves in the air, are gathered in a single dance that turns them round and round. The fox cub trots his almost pathless path, as silent as his absence. These passings resurrect a joy without defect, the life that steps and sings in ways of death. What I find from Wendell Berry's recollections of his walks on Sabbath is this sense of peace. Sabbath means to stop. Secondly, Sabbath means to delight. In Genesis, we're told here, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. The other days, it said it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. What did God do? He delighted in his creation. He looked at it and enjoyed it. Adam is created on the sixth day, and his first day is a Sabbath. It's like a picture of grace given to him not because he's done anything. He hasn't. He's not created anything. He's not accomplished anything. It's God's gift to him to delight. It's the last time you delighted. Rule about Sabbath, if, if it brings your soul to light, do it. It's like in the summer. One of the greatest delights I have in the summer is that first ripe tomato. Wouldn't you like one of those right about now? Huh? I get it and I look at it, I bring it to Linda and she oohs and ahs over it. And then we cut into it and we eat that thing. And I just marvel at this wonderful gift from my garden. That's delight. What brings you delight? And then thirdly, Sabbath is worship. Um, it is told that, we're, that this is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Sabbath is not just a day to self-indulge, although there is that. It's a day to worship God, to put the focus on Him, to begin your day in silence, stillness, to read the Scriptures, to pray throughout the day, to hang out at a more leisurely pace with God. So I would encourage you, if you want to live at a different speed, if you want to go against the craziness out there, stop, delight, worship one day out of the seven, and it will bring rest for your souls. Do you pray with me? Father, we thank you for um, the gifts you give us.
this day that you blessed and called holy. And Lord, we only hurt ourselves when we go against this creational design. So God, would you help us to rediscover Sabbath in our day? To bring delight back into our lives and to to not go the path of the burnout culture around us. For this we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're so glad you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. And if you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out lacroixchurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.